We don't come into this field to hand out worksheets. We come into this field to be difference makers. And telling the story that really matters is a step toward becoming a difference maker. Welcome to the Modern Learners Podcast. I'm Will Richardson, co-founder of the Modern Learners Community and Change School, as well as an author, speaker, and parent of two amazing children. Every week I do a deep dive into some of the challenging questions that face educators today, and I offer some practical steps for what you can do right now to make sure your students thrive in the complex, fast-changing future they'll live in. So if you've listened to two of our previous podcasts on the topic of story, I think you'll agree that we educators are in an interesting spot when it comes to the way we think and talk about education and schooling moving forward. You know, the old story that you have to be somewhere at a particular time with a particular teacher, with a particular group of kids who are your same age from your same neighborhood to learn a particular curriculum at the same pace and be assessed in the same way, that whole story is breaking. And not only because it doesn't make a lot of sense in a learning context, but because the world doesn't operate that way any longer. The question is, what do we as educators do to create a new story? a new way of thinking about what the experience of school looks and feels like for this latest generation of kids. Well, few educational leaders are better positioned to answer that question than Marianne Moran and John Clements, co-principals of Nipmuc High School in Upton, Massachusetts. Over the last three years, they've led a powerful process to create a coherent story of learning for their students that's increasingly different from the one most schools are telling. John and Marianne are alums of our Change School program, but more impressively, they were named 2017 State Principal and 2016 Assistant Principal of the Year, respectively, and their high-energy, inclusive approach to generating important and powerful conversations around learning in their school community are unparalleled in my experience. Now, as you'll hear in this conversation, while every school story and journey is unique, there are a number of important starting points that all leaders can take right away to begin the process of creating and telling a new story of learning. So that conversation is coming right up, but real fast, I want to remind you once again to check out our Modern Learners community if you haven't already done so. MLC has about 1,200 members now from around the world, and we are having some powerful conversations and sharing some latest steps for creating classrooms where modern, engaged learning really thrives it's a respectful, safe space that's away from the noise of Twitter and Facebook and the mess that social media is becoming. And it gives you a place to think and engage and learn at a deep level. So I urge you, head on over to modernlearners.community to join us. And when you do, check out the podcast topic to get more resources around our conversation today. Now, don't forget, at the end of the podcast, I'll be back with three things you can do right now to wrap your practice more fully around some of the ideas that we talk about but for now, let's get right to my conversation with Marianne and John. Thanks for listening, everyone, and enjoy. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk a little bit today about your work up at Nipmunk. I, I've been doing some interviews this month around the theme of story, had some very interesting conversations around how beliefs fit into that, how the different things that are happening in the world are changing our sense of the story of education at kind of a meta level. And what I want to do with you today is just get a little bit more practical about what this looks like in a school setting, how you're thinking about story differently today, maybe than you have been in the past, 
And then specifically the steps that you're taking to try to change the narrative in your community. Because I think that as much as we talk about a sense of a different way of thinking about education and schooling and learning in classrooms, trying to convince people who are very rooted in a traditional narrative is a difficult thing to do. And I think you guys have made some great strides in that, in that respect. So I want to touch on that as well. But why don't we start with just getting a sense of what it was that led you to the point where you started thinking, you know, we have to start telling a different story. We have to start reimagining it or revising it and not only living that in classrooms, but then building the capacity of people in the school community to understand that. So what kind of led you to that point? Sure. Well, we're glad to be here, Will. Thanks for having us. I, I think the first thing I would say is that we love the story of our school. We have phenomenal students, talented teachers, a supportive community, and like many districts across the nation, we look at the work that we do each day and we're proud of it. But at the same time, you know, we've been in our district for quite a while. This is my 21st year here at Nipbuck Regional High School in Upton, Mass. And Marianne has been here for a long time as well. Yeah, I started in 2003 here. So this is my seventh, going into my 17th year. So to be clear, I mean, a big part of the story of our school is that we do traditional school well. Our kids perform well on the SAT. We have a thriving AP program and we've seen kids per succeed and do well. We send about 90% of our kids off to two and four year colleges. But as we say, when we get in front of students and parents, if that were the metrics by which you were judging our school, you'd be leaving some key components out. Uh, in addition to being a principal, I'm also a dad. And I, I know I want my kids to have door opening experiences during their schooling career, but I want them to come home curious and ex excited and inspired and connected to a purpose that is larger than something that can be captured through a lot of our traditional practices. So at, at what point do you think the, the old metrics of college acceptances, SAT scores, ACT scores, AP scores, all that stuff, just started feeling a little hollow in terms of the larger conversation that you were having in your school community? Yeah, you know, John mentioned his own kids, and I, I go back to that. I have three boys, and, you know, I think as educators, we often did school well as well. You know, we went through and we got the grades, the acceptances to colleges. And I think as a school community, we, we still value those things. We value the college education. And, you know, we know that some of those traditional metrics are what gets our kids into colleges still and kind of in the next pursuits in their life. But it can't stop there. I think any educator who's ever had a conversation with a student knows that there's so much more than their AP scores or their test scores that inside of each of our students is this passion and this curiosity. And when we put kids into the box of traditional school and move along from grade to grade or course to course, we lose that. Um, so I think that's a piece that in, we've done a lot of work with our beliefs, but in getting back to the individual um, and kind of tapping into our students, you can't start measuring them by those traditional metrics anymore. We spend a lot of time thinking about the why of the work that we do. Why are we here? And we've been asking that question a lot to our educators of what do they believe about learning? How do they believe people learn most powerfully and deeply? And I don't think the teachers at our school are unique. I think it's the same wherever you go, just like with parents and with kids. When you ask that question, you get answers about learning being relevant and meaningful and exciting, connected kids' passions and being a, a, a way to find their future goal and purpose in life. You don't hear people talking about SAT scores, state assessments, or number two pencils. And so 
when we think about the future of school, I don't think we're unique in recognizing that we want a more aspirational future. You know, we're pretty excited here in Massachusetts, our commissioner of education, you know, the leader of all our schools has been talking openly about the unintended consequences of the rigor of our frameworks. He's talked about how while Massachusetts has performed well on national and international metrics, there are some unintended consequences. And, and part of that is that the drilling has um, created a, a situation where kids are disengaged and they're unable to connect the daily lessons to their current or future selves. So when you have a leader of the leader of policy, the leader of, the, of a state's schools and a school in a state that has done traditionally very well, coming out and openly talking about it, it feels like we have license to tap into the why of why we do our job. I'm wondering the extent to which you've heard that message from parents and kids as well. Is that something that they've been kind of knocking at your door saying, hey, my kid's disengaged or hey, uh, we really are tapping out their curiosity and creativity? Or is that mostly coming from uh, just your own sense of it? And, and are you the ones that are pretty much driving that outwardly or is that, is that message coming to you from the outside in? You know, I, I don't know that they're, they're communicating it as outwardly as we're talking about it as a school community. I think, you know, again, you, you sit and you talk to individual students or individual parents and they can talk to that level of disengagement or, you know, looking for something more in education. But as a community, we're openly having those conversations. And the more we have those conversations with our parents, with our community, with our students, um, you know, the light bulbs start going off in their heads. Like, oh yeah, you know, we, we can't forget about all these other important measures of success that define our students and that define our school community. And they're starting to want the more, you know, and they're being more vocal about it, which is an exciting place to have them. We've been intentional too, though, about the conversations that we're having with our parents in our community. We've asked hundreds of people the question, what's your most powerful moment of learning? And when I'm at the podium and I'm looking across the audience, you see a little bit of panic set in when people start to try and tap into what that one moment was that was powerful for them. And I think there's a common pattern. They start by kind of going through a stack of photographs of all the images they have of school. And before long, they get stuck. And then what inevitably happens is they attach to a mentor, someone who had a really meaningful role in their learning process. But the mentor isn't the answer to that question of your most powerful moment of learning. And then you quickly find that people go on to first days at a job, epic fails that led to great success, first dates. You know, you find people connect to things that are oftentimes outside of the classroom. And when you begin to have that open conversation about making school the most powerful moment of learning. We're not getting any resistance from our parents. We're getting support from our parents and our great teachers and our kids to say, let's try and do things a little bit differently in order to make that aspirational vision come to life. I'm kind of reminded of, a, of an excerpt from a book called DIYU by Anya Kamenetz. I don't know if you've read it, but it came out about five, six years ago. It's pretty interesting. There's this one scene that she talks about going to a CEO of a big company and talking about how there are more opportunities for kids now to learn, to be entrepreneurial, to go out into the world and do amazing things that they don't necessarily have to take this more, this kind of traditional narrative, this traditional story path that takes them through high school with honors to a college, all that kind of stuff. And the CEO said, well, that's all good and well. And I hope that my children take advantage of those opportunities. But if they get accepted to Harvard, they're going to Harvard, right? So I'm wondering the extent to which you can say to parents, we need to do things differently. 
but that at the end of the day, when you start doing things differently, parents kind of go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Even though I know that it's probably better in a learning context and in the ways that you've kind of framed it in those conversations. So you're articulating the challenge of education right now, right? I think we have to embrace the fact that an aspirational vision of school and, a tr and the traditional metrics of success are not mutually exclusive. I think we have to find a way to maintain our strength in the traditional metrics, but focus our energies more and more on what school could be and building something that looks a little bit different from the past. I think if we were in a school community where our scores were struggling and uh, the narrative had not yet changed, we would find some struggles in getting our community to buy in if our kids were having opportunities close to them. But we're believers that you can do both. It's a both and, it's not an either or. Then what is that aspirational story that you're, that you're painting or that you're not painting, but that you're coming to some understanding of together in your community? Because I know that you are, like you said, taking these conversations out and engaging with parents and students and teachers and, and others. Uh, is there some consensus as to what that story looks like other than to say we need to keep kids curious and creative? You know, like, is there a vision for what that looks like in practice that might be different from what practice has looked like in the past? Sure. Over the last two years, and we've talked about this quite a bit, we've done a lot of work in terms of our beliefs about learning. And John talked about most powerful moment of learning. Stealing a page out of your book, we talked to people a lot about what do they believe most powerfully and deeply about how people learn. And that's kind of where we started um, and came up with some powerful belief statements about what we believe about our learners, what we believe about our educators, our community and our learning environment. And now comes the tough work of closing that gap, as you always talk about, closing the gap between what we believe and what we practice. And I think that's the challenging part. I think as a school community, and it would probably be consistency if we went to other schools, we can come to consensus about what we believe about how kids or how everyone learns most powerfully and deeply. The challenging work comes when it becomes personal, when we have to start changing the practices in our schools. So we spent a lot of time with our educators, but also with our students. Um, and we have common planning time where we work together to say, if this is what we believe about learning, and we have a clear definition of learning as well. And if this is our definition of learning, then what should we do more of? What are the practices that we need to start doing more of? And at the same time, what are the practices that we need to start leaving behind or doing less of? So we're not, it's not an all or nothing movement again, it's a we're moving, right? And how can we continue to move in that direction that's gonna move us closer to our beliefs and that aspirational vision of what school could be? Marianne referenced the definition of learning, and I think that was a big part of our growth of, as a school community, recognizing that the Nipmuc school community here in central Massachusetts is going to be different from a school next door and across the country and across the globe. And so we could have spent two years dedicated to just figuring out that big picture conversation, but we used some really intentional, purposeful protocols in order to make sure that kids, community members, and faculty members had a voice and we captured their ideas. And then through a, a couple month process, we're able to take those ideas and boil them down to a definition of learning. And again, Marianne referenced um, the work, stealing a page out of your book and Modern Learners has been like, very helpful for us in talking about the importance of what a definition of learning is. We are the learning experts in our community, as you always say, we should know what learning is. And so we've, we talked to our teachers about what learning is and learning isn't. And they came up with some truly powerful statements 
we broke it down to the five W's, so the who, what, where, when, why, and then also the how of learning. And our teachers and community members wrote, some, wrote statements like, everyone is a learner. Learning is not only for students or a select group of people. That immediately challenged this idea of a culture of teaching and embracing the idea that Marianne and I and every teacher in this building and every staff member and every kid are learners and we have to embrace that mindset. What was cool too is when you start to talk about how people learn, our faculty members came up with statements like learning does not occur simply when memorizing facts and figures. It does not happen naturally through receiving, recording, or repeating information, and it is limited by rigid thinking and the pursuit of a single right or safe answer. That's mind-blowing. Like, holy cow, that is our community coming to consensus about a bigger, bolder, more positive, uh, different definition of what learning could be in our schools. And that's got to drive everything we do. So we've learned so much from you guys because you have done so many different things in order to engage in that conversation. And I know you've mentioned on a couple of occasions already the conversations you've had simply to define learning. But I wonder if you could talk about some of those other protocols or those other experiences that you've created that have allowed you to bring in a number of different voices, bring in a number of different stories that you're able then to to share and to build upon as you as you kind of develop a new vision for for teaching and learning in the district. What are some other things that you could suggest to people who might be listening in terms of a really effective use of time and and uh, and energy to do that? One of the exciting things that we started a couple of years ago was what we call our food for thought lunches. So in this journey, we recognize the importance of student voice and empowering our students to be kind of leaders of the learning and, and joining us in this journey that we can't do it without them. They are, you know, they are the most important uh, entity in our organization. So when we think about that, we develop these lunches, which are really an opportunity to hear our students and to give them voice in our school. So Food for Thought Lunches, we come together with about 15 or 20 students. They happen every other week usually and educators. So our teachers have the ability to sign up to attend as many Food for Thought Lunches as they want over the course of the year. They give up a prep period, so that's their lunch block, but also a prep block. So they're given up about an hour of their day. And I would say 90 to 95% of our educators take this opportunity um, and jump on it and talk about kind of the importance and the excitement coming out of the events. We all just have lunch with the kids. So we sit, we chat, we talk about what's going on day to day. We kind of build some initial um, relationships and talking points and then obviously we give our kids some good desserts because bringing kids together if you feed them well they'll keep coming back but often we have different groups of students um, at each of these and then we kind of put them to work we tap into them and this is a representative group and I think that's important that you're not just pulling your student council forward or you know select groups of officers it's representative 9 through 12 and you know, we do some tapping on the shoulders of the students who are disengaged or who haven't had a voice, you know, mixed with those kids that are powerful voices already in your school community. We post questions around the room. We do keep our questions consistent over the course of the year to try and collect some meaningful data out of them. Um, and kids walk around and they share their thoughts, their ideas. It's lively. There's music. There's talking. Our educators are engaging with our students. And we ask them questions like, what do you want your teachers and administrators to know? Another question we often throw up is what if, trying to tap into their curiosities about what's possible. We ask them what words come to mind when they think about the culture of the school. 
Last year, we spent a lot of time talking to our students about the skills they needed in order to be successful. And once they define those skills, if those are the skills and what experiences do they need in order to acquire those skills. We started to talk to them about a new definition of success. If grades were not an option, how would we know we were successful as a school community? So really collecting the thoughts and ideas from kids in an actionable, time-bound, doesn't take a long time. And I'll tell you, it's the highlight of John and I's weeks at times to get to spend the time with those students and teachers in the same room, you know, kind of removed from the daily classroom lessons, but hearing them out. Each bit of student feedback that comes out of those is written on a piece of chart paper, then transferred to a Google Doc, and then we take it and we create word clouds. So very quickly, we can gain the themes that come out of each of those lunches and see the consensus of what our kids think. And that's led to some pretty powerful action steps in the school as well. So one of the neat things that came out when we started these two years ago, a theme over and over that we heard was about homework. What do you want your administrators and educators to know? It was homework and the amount of time. And, you know, and our kids weren't asking for to get rid of homework. They understand the value of continuing their learning beyond the school day, but they wanted their homework to be meaningful. Um, and they wanted recognition of the amount of commitments they were doing outside of school and the importance of those commitments in their learning. So that led to trying to get actionable and a district committee was formed, um, representative K through 12 students, educators, parents, administrators, and came a powerful document at the end of a year process of homework guidelines. So we now have district homework guidelines that speak to not just, you know, the recognition of, you know, different family values and outside activities, but also what homework should be and what homework shouldn't be in terms of making it meaningful for our students. So food for thought lunches are one approach to that. Another way that we've gotten actionable to try and help shape the future of where we're headed as a school is to flatten the leadership of our school through what we call lead learner workshops. Marianne and I function as co-principals and we have a great group of department chairs. So probably a very traditional structure in most school communities. Um, we would traditionally meet about, you know, once a month for about three hours, Marianne and I with our seven department chairs great people, dedicated, talented, but we had a group of about seven to 10 people in the room making decisions for an entire school community. And we thought, how could we engage more voices in the leadership of our school? So we scrapped that model. We did away with it and replaced it with our lead learner workshops, where now we meet monthly and they are attended by our department chairs, but they're open to any teacher in the school and to any student in the school. There are most important leadership opportunities and we get together in a workshop style and we explore new ideas together. And we make sure that we have an actionable focus coming out of each one of those meetings. We, we maintain a website for that. So um, we regularly have 30-ish people showing up, a good split between teachers and students. Our teachers are awesome and they show up for these non-mandatory meetings in order to lend their voice to the leadership of the school. Not just your veteran teachers, but also it gives voice to some of those teachers who are in their first or second year in the school and have great ideas to lend to our leadership. One of my favorite moments from our lead learner workshops came when we were running these. It was September and I had a freshman seated at a table with our most veteran faculty member and they were in the midst of exploring a concept together. It came time to present out to the room and everyone looked at the freshman. And she stood up and she presented that group's ideas. And in that moment, I mean, I think that brings to life the idea that that student's voice is as valuable as anybody else's voice in our school community. And so it's flattened the leadership, embraced a culture of learning, 
and it's a simple step that we were able to uh, to make happen pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, you say simple, but in a lot of places, I'm not sure how simple that would be. Obviously, because just uh, again of the of the long held norms for the the ways in which teachers and students interact and parents and the power relationships that go on there, I think flattening the hierarchy when you talk about that really does speak to power and the ways in which you do have to change the relationships in order to, to get people comfortable to participate in those conversations in some meaningful ways. Hey, I wanna take a quick break from our conversation to let you know about what I think is the most powerful professional learning destination for educators online, and that is our Modern Learners Community Plus. You know, at a time when change is accelerating, when social media is getting increasingly toxic, and when we're faced with big questions in education that demand serious answers, MLC Plus offers a safe, respectful, intelligent space on the web to help you make sense of what to do next. MLC Plus is about community, we're building a movement to change the experience of schooling for kids around the world to better prepare them for the world today. Our community builds our collective and individual capacity to do that. MLC Plus is about challenge. Our carefully selected links and theme-driven conversations are meant to push your thinking, to get you to scrutinize your practice and to catalyze your journey to reimagine education and schooling. But most of all, MLC Plus is about learning. Through our diverse book studies, our live coaching sessions with the Modern Learners team, our constant conference, our special workshops and masterclasses, your learning doesn't have to stop. And since all of our interactions are archived for later viewing, it's your learning on your schedule. So if you're looking for more quality conversations with a global lens within a passionate community of educators, all in one respectful, easy to access, time-saving space, I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than MLC+. Head on over to modernlearners.community right now, and let's change the story of education for the modern world together. And now, back to our conversation. You know, you mentioned that you had a webpage for the lead learner activities. You know, one of the things that struck me about you guys, and I think you, if, there's a, if there's a Guinness Book of World Record for most web pages that show the process of the work that you're doing, you guys would win. I mean, hands down. You must have hundreds of pages that you've, that you've posted. Your roadmap is amazing, and it's something that I show just about everywhere that I go as, as an example of what's possible, at least. But I'm, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the importance of that transparency. I know that you know, you're not thinking that thousands of people are coming and reading those web pages, yet you take the time to put those up there and to organize them in a way that people can actually find stuff that they're looking for. Talk a little bit about why that's so important to do that in the context of changing the narrative, obviously, but also just in changing the culture around how people interact and, and how people engage in conversations. You know, the transparency is such an important piece for us. And I think, I mean, it starts internally, right? So if you think on, you know, the smallest level, having a website or a public facing page that contains your information, if there are educators or students who aren't able to attend a lead learner meeting, for example, I know that everyone in our school community has access to every conversation, essentially, if you're posting the digital pieces or pictures of, you know, the chart paper that was going that was put up on the wall and, you know, cataloging that and pictures. So it's all there. 
when they're ready to engage. I think people are ready at different stages and people have a lot of commitment. So part of it is ensuring that, you know, there's access to it. Um, and there's no reason in today's day and age with the amount of technology and tools that are available to us that we can't be, you know, keeping that sort of digital catalog of practices as we go along. So that's an important piece for us. Beyond that, you start to talk about you know, your greater school community and, and the communities amended and Upton at large. So, you know, you talked about our digital timeline built on Sutori, and that's a huge piece of sharing out the work that's taking place. I think in education, things happen so quickly sometimes. If you ask me what I did a month ago, I, I may not even be able to recount it, but taking the time to catalog the work you're doing and being intentional about it allows you to be reflective about your practice, allows you to reflect on the progress you've made in a short period of time and say, if this is what we've done, then also what's next, right? And to be able to share that. I think it's not everyone's comfortable with what the level of sharing goes on. And that's been another probably culture shift within our community about sharing. So we share, you know, we have a website for our common planning time. So nothing's a mystery if we go in and work with the math department and then go to the science department, there's a webpage that contains it all. So if I'm a member of the science department, I'm really curious about the conversations that happen in the math department, digitally, I can get to those. I can go access the documents and the work that was taking place there so that I can see that. And it gives you a bank of resources. I can't tell you how many times. Food for Thought's another great example. So we have a digital catalog of all of those responses that ever took place. So when we're having a conversation about beliefs in a lead learner meeting or a faculty meeting, we have all this data to go back and to access and to resource and to pull back in. So yes, it takes time, but I think it pays off tenfold to have all of that information there. And it starts to tell your new story. Right, someone can look at that timeline and, and start to capture what it means to be a member of the Menden Upton and or NIPMA community. Is all of that information public to the world? It is public to the world, yes. And on the website, sure. And, and is that intentional? I mean, because you could put some of that stuff behind a little bit of a curtain and, you know, password protected or whatever. But I'm, I'm wondering if, if that's intentional on your part, that you're willing to share out all of that stuff as a way of again, helping others understand what the story is what, or what your story might be in the process that you're going through? Yeah, I mean, I'm intentional about it. I, you know, there, there are no secrets to be kept here. And I think, I, you know, redefining, you know, school and, and reimagining what schools could be, I think, is not a one school job. I think, you know, I mean, it's within our community and transparency there. But, you know, John and I regularly present and share with others and give them all the resources we have. I always tell everybody, everything's Google Docs. Take, share, use, reuse. If we're always trying to start from scratch, you know, the progress is going to be much slower than if we come together as a community who wants to think, see things change and move and share resources and share ideas and share best practices. So we're big believers in the power of professional sharing. Yeah, there's a quote out there that the strong, the, the smartest person in the room is the room. We're firm believers in that. And part, we do that in our own school community, but we're very interested in connecting with other educators and finding those pockets of innovation and awesomeness that are doing great, that are happening in school communities all over the globe and connecting them. And so we've also started a, a group called the Inspired Learning Project, where we keep a blog and we have digital conversations where we're looking to connect with authors and leaders and teachers who are doing great things with the thought that 
the more transparent we can be, the more we can help other people tell their story of inspiring learning moments, the better off we all are in moving our schools forward. So one of the things I learned from you guys actually, because you're right, we, we start just about every conversation with what is learning. But one of the things I learned from you guys is that it's a great question to ask, what isn't learning too? And you mentioned that before. So what I found interesting, John, a couple of weeks ago when you were on a coaching session, and I blogged about this so uh, earlier this month, was when we were talking a little bit about story and also what isn't story, how we choose what stories not to tell. And I'm just wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that. You made a comment along the lines of you really felt like the, the qualitative metrics of, of what's happening in schools will mean so much more to parents and kids that within the next five years, I think your quote was, no one's going to be talking about test scores. And on its face, that sounds ambitious. I'm, I'm not in any way suggesting that you guys wouldn't be able to, to achieve that. But part of you doing that is choosing what stories not to tell. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. If we, if we have beliefs about learning that are clearly articulated and a definition of learning that taps into the aspirational, then why as a school community should we only be telling stories of traditional achievement? That's not to dismiss the accomplishments of our kids that they should be proud of and that our door, you know, in reality, their door opening accomplishments beyond high school. But when you think as a parent, Will, and when I think as a dad about what I want for my kids, the first thing out of my mouth is not going to have anything to do with standardized tests. It's going to be about the story that they have as individuals, what their passions are, their curiosities, and how they explore that in their own life. And that is what we're so fortunate to have with the hundreds of kids who come here every day, is that every single one of them has a story to tell. And every single one of them is unique. And we as a school need to be tapping into that. And so we've been intentional about that as well in looking at some of the traditions that we have here at Nipmuc Regional. Our school opened in 1962. And for most of those years, we've had something called a high honors dinner. And again, I'm not dismissing the hard work and the quality of the kids that who, who get high honors and get high scores. But over the years, we've started to talk about, is that really the thing that we wanna celebrate most? And so as we've worked to reimagine that, we looked at who are the kids behind the test scores. And last year, asked them to uh, participate in a celebration that was a little bit different, where we put in a video presentation together about what their hopes and dreams are and what they will one day do. And when you saw these kids identify themselves as mountain climbers or ski instructors or kids who are able to participate in science internships at local universities, kids standing behind a podium saying, one day I'm going to be a leader at a, at a national level, kids standing in a kitchen saying, one day I will explore culinary arts. Those are the stories that move people universally more than this is a kid who's going to get a great SAT score. And so if we're aware of those stories, we need to really work to tell them. And uh, that for us is not only the job in front of us, it's a great part of the job in front of us. And I think it taps into why educators come into this field. We don't come into this field to hand out worksheets. We come into this field to be difference makers and telling the story that really matters is a step toward becoming a difference maker. So you guys were, were great enough to uh, create one of our first courses at Modern Learners and it's called Launching Modern Learning First Year Strategies for Change. I'm wondering what are some of the very first things that you would suggest people do in leadership positions to move, start moving down this path of, of reimagining the work and then 
building a different narrative around that, that kind of vision that you want to implement and moving that out into your school community? What are some of the first things that you would do? Or, or maybe even what are some of the first things that you talk about in that course um, that, you, that you help leaders understand and, and put into practice? So I think, I mean, one of the pieces, and we're graduates of Change School, which was powerful in kind of helping us ground ourselves in our own beliefs about learning. And I think, I think that's a great starting place that any educational leader needs to start tapping into their own beliefs if we're going to start to challenge some of the assumptions we're making about school and doing things a little differently. And then it's about creating um, protocols and procedures to lead your own school community through um, developing beliefs about learning, a definition of learning, and we did a call to action. And whether that's determined by mission and vision or whatever you want to call it, I think it's so critical to have the guiding documents because after that, after you can come to consensus about what learning is and what you believe is a learning organization, then you can start to reimagine what's possible in schools and, and figure out you know, how you're going to adjust practice and adapt practices in order to closer align to those beliefs. But I think until a school community can really tap into who they are and why they're there and you know, if they want to do things differently or why they want to do things differently, um, they, they need those in order to make forward progress. I think if they try and start moving before those things are solidified, they're going to feel like everything's going in opposite direction. So a lot of what we talk about in the beginning, of course, are protocols and procedures and things that we've done um, at NITMUC to make some of those processes time bound, because I think these are big conversations and they can take up a ton of space and I think schools probably get caught in the trap of them taking multiple years to get some of those guiding documents there. But I think with some of the structures built into the course, they can have, you know, faculty meeting strategies, common planning strategies that'll move them more quickly through those pieces. Marianne said it well, this work will fill as much space as you give it. So you have to come up with a defined space. That said, we do not believe there is a recipe or a set of instructions that will lead every school to an aspirational future. That's just not realistic. We do, however, believe passionately that there are a set of practices that can be adapted, revised, scaled, and brought to school communities in order to help leaders and teachers and kids and community members tap into really what they want for their schools and how to get there. We've had to, uh, in some cases, kind of rein you guys in a little bit in terms of the time frame because I know that you are very impatient when it comes to making these types of changes happen and we talk a lot about, you know, in Change School and in Modern Learners about how long this does take because it's not just flipping a switch. You have to deal with, with culture. You have to really understand how the world is changing on a larger scale. You have to really understand what's possible in terms of practice, all of those things right now. So I'm, I'm wondering what your sense is, and, I, and I, I want to compliment both of you because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think both of you have come out and said you're in this for the long haul. You're, you're staying in your jobs at your district for the next 10 years. I think that's obviously a, a huge, huge piece of how you sustain change. But what is your time frame realistically, do you think, to get to the point where, um, I'm, I won't say everyone's on board, but where you feel like you really have turned a corner and that when people think of the experience of school at NIPMUC, they think of something very different from what most people have in their heads when they think of the term high school. We talk all the time about the 10-year plan, where we're going to be in 10 years and how we're going to get there. <laughs> that doesn't mean that the change happens all, 10 years comes and all of a sudden it, it's there. Right. Uh, 
you know, there's this great quote from Ted Dintersmith that says, small sparks, of small sparks lead to bonfires of learning. And we believe that what we, the story we've been telling is the collection of those sparks. And so, you know, after a year, we, after a year long process, we had de developed our beliefs about learning and our definition of learning. And we said, are we ready to go? Or what should we do with this information now? And we decided you, you really got to go slow in order to go fast. And so we spent all of last year talking about it, meeting individually with every department four times in order to discuss, do we really believe this? Which parts of it do you connect with most? And, you know, paying attention to the human side of this, because, you know, we're talking about changing the most established organization in, in U.S. culture, right? Everybody has a shared understanding of what school is. You say what it, you ask people about school and they come up with similar ideas of desks and teachers in the front and rows and tests and, you know, how kids get ranked. And so to, to find a way around that, you really need to take your time. Um, but that said, uh, we make sure there are a lot of sparks every year. We make sure that there's something new. And one of the things we're most excited about is that, you know, when we asked our teachers what they believe about learning and they articulated it and we were, we felt empowered and excited about it. We spent last year sort of handing the reins over to them and it speaks to the people in this school district. You mentioned it earlier that not every district would it be so simple to have people participate in these kinds of things. But our teachers show up. They're talented, they're bright, they've got ideas. And last year when we met with them, our final common planning session was, what part of who we are resonates most with you as a department and what do you wanna do with it? What goal do you wanna set as a department? Marianne and I got to sort of step back and watch how every department came up with a goal or an idea of where they wanted to go that was unique, but was driven directly from who we are and what we believe about learning. And so now we're at a point where I feel like we could start to see change happening exponentially. I don't know to answer your question. I don't know how long it's gonna be, but when we start to see interdisciplinary programs, multi-block classes, kids having the standards handed over to them to show the connection to the learning. We're seeing in pockets, in different ways, teachers bringing our beliefs about learning to life. And that means it's gonna to start to speed up. I mean, I think the other piece too is, we talk about the idea of compasses, not maps, right? And, and we have these open conversations in our school community all the time about not having a specific destination. You know, you use the term perpetual beta a lot. And it's an awesome term because you can't say in 10 years, I'm gonna be here because you know that mark is gonna to continue to move on the world outside of schools is changing so quickly. So we know what we believe about learning. We have our definition of learning that's guiding us. We know our true north, but we don't have that specific destination. And, and I think that's an important recognition in school communities that you can't say we're going here and how long is it gonna to take to get there? Because you know if it took John and I five years, that point's gonna move anyway. So and we'll find you know where we're headed in the next five and you know it's just exciting it's it's about those sparks and it's about how quickly those fires start and you know from there you just hopefully watch some of it happen and watch school get better and better for our kids you'll never be done as we yeah. say over and over again <laughs> right but i'm wondering i'm wondering if i could get you guys and this is hard right but so just as a guess 10 years from now what's something that looks really different at nipmuc What's something, what's, if I walk in the classrooms, hallways, whatever, what do you think that something that's fundamentally different from the story we're telling about schools or the story we're living in schools today? 
It's a great question. And it's a protocol we spent time going through with our faculty. I figured, I figured it probably was. You know. <laughs> we didn't go 10 years. We said, let's pretend you're five years out and take a look back at 2019. What are you surprised we did and where are we now? And the answers that they had were really pretty inspiring. Yeah, you know, our, our faculty talked about, you know, kids getting out more. They really talk about the, the idea of the interdisciplinary that we'll look back and think like, wow, I can't believe we separated kids into classes and that we had this structured time frame. Um, you know, they'll look back. One of the things is technology, you know, how we thought all the technology was new and having the perspective that, you know, kids are going to have a lot of tools in their hands, you know, in five years from now or even 10 years from now. I, you know, if, if I had to answer it personally, I, I would say the idea of, you know, breaking down the, some of the structures of schools. I think that, you know, the, the classes, you know, at, at the high school level, at least, the ideas of disciplines and the idea of a structured schedule and kids coming here to learn. I think we're going to be a lot more flexible in terms of each student's journey through their four years. And, you know, I think recognition that every kid's an individual will start to impact all of those pieces. From my standpoint, I think we're going to see a lot more co-constructed curriculum. Our teachers are open to giving the kids the standards and allowing the students to show how they're going to meet the standards and not having a one-size-fits-all approach. And when you do that, all of a sudden you open the doors to the community and the learning isn't locked in the classroom anymore and it's not locked in a 65-minute block and it's not locked in a discipline. And what we found through their answers when we asked that question was challenging the rigidity of the structure that we have now in order to make learning personal meaningful, relevant, inspiring. Well, I love talking to you guys because my sense of it is, is that you embrace the uncertainty rather than get overwhelmed by it or get kind of uh, scared by it. And there is a lot of uncertainty right now. And you have to have, I think, that attitude that says this is an opportunity rather than a challenge or it's a challenge, but it's more of an opportunity. And so we really appreciate the work that you guys are doing and your willingness to share it out because I think that's that's so powerful that other people anywhere in the world can come and take a look. Uh, it would take them probably six months to go through everything that you've shared, but they can come and if they have the time and the energy, they can just sort through and look and see the things that you guys are doing. And, and I uh, just want you to know that, that's, uh, that we really appreciate that. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that are learning from you as you go through this journey. And uh, it's always great to talk to you guys and get a little bit of a dose of optimism for what comes next. So thanks for the time today, really appreciate it. Thanks, glad to thanks, be here. Will. Absolutely. So what do you do now after listening to everything that Marianne and John had to say? Well, I've got three suggestions for you. First, make sure you dive into the extensive resources about their journey that they're sharing online. I'm adding a list of links to check out under the podcast topic in our community, but if you just have time for one, make sure it's the Nipmuc Roadmap that they're creating in Sutori. It will blow you away. Second, check out Marianne and John's new course on launching modern learning first year strategies for change. You can get all the details at modernlearners.com courses. And finally, if you haven't already done so, take some time to write down what you believe about how kids learn most powerfully and deeply. Ask others on your team to do that and start talking about your responses and how well they reflect what's actually happening in your classrooms. It's the most important first step you can take. Don't forget to listen to our fourth and final podcast around story next week. I'll be taking a look at how the stories we tell both internally and externally create the cultures we teach and learn in. Until then, really hope you click over to modernlearners.community and keep this conversation going. Cheers, everyone, and as always, thanks for listening.